not Compassion Weekend. Today is Mother's Day Weekend. Come on, we got to celebrate the moms. Not all of us are moms, but everybody's got moms, right? This is a big one we're talking about today, Mother's Day weekend. We're going to honor you. We actually found a video online that is, um, it just takes such a good uh, snapshot of what the real life and the role and the sacrifice that mothers make. And um, it almost brought me to tears. I got to tell you, some of you guys might get a little tearful, but it's actually a really good um, video just to honor our moms and all that they do. So would you guys take a look at the screens as we watch this? Here's to the mothers. Here's to the boo-boo kissers. Here's to the get up and warm the milk at 2 a.m. women. You are braver than you know. You make the music that makes the life, that gives the rhythm to the day in and out and in again. Courageous. You deliver babies by C-section or adoption certificate or by push and pant and wailing battle cry of birth. You give more than you think you have. And when you're empty, when you're bone dry, you wring out one more drop, one more bottle, one more soothing the temper tantrum. Hero, you make a budget stretch. You clip coupons, you fight ketchup stains. You face the awkward parent-teacher moments. You listen, you translate for your child. You do the hard work of teaching at every turn. You find a hundred new ways to answer a hundred new versions of the question, why? Champion, you show up, you take photos, you cheer. You shuttle boys and bags of gear between sports fields and serve up ice cream afterwards. You disagree with him. You make her change her skirt but you love fiercely from beneath those unruly bangs. You learn to laugh at your reflection. You revel in your smiley wrinkles. Real, you lose your temper. You yell and apologize and stamp your foot and prove that you are human. You cry. You venture out into an ocean of vulnerability with only a small dinghy and two short oars to keep you afloat when you become a parent. Anchor. You yield your figure, your abs, your size four jeans, but your will turns to muscle unheard of. It grows strong with determination. No one will wound these children without going through you first. You are a last harbor, a lighthouse in the storm of internet and Facebook, failed grades and peer pressure. But in the everydayness of these moments, you start to feel it. The weight of glory, the glorious ordinary. And on your quietest, least interesting days, you get better at hearing the music of motherhood. Slowly a harmony rises from the collection of tasks every mother cycles through in a day. The sacred marriage of the mundane and the eternal the small directly related to the massive. Kids walking around like so much eternity with skin on. There is no part of your everyday wash and rinse and repeat routine that isn't significant. 
You make the music that makes the life that gives the rhythm to the day in and out and in again. You are braver than you know because you mother. How's that? That's good, huh? We're celebrating the moms today, and we all, some of us in here are, not some of us, some of you are moms in here, and uh, we all have them. But I want to honor the moms a little bit this morning. Um, we don't always say it enough. We don't always recognize it enough, but moms, you're doing a better job than you think you are. You've done a more incredible job than you could possibly imagine, and we don't say it enough, the spouses and the husbands and the, the kids, but God sees what you've done and who you are what you have yet to do, and what a blessing. And um, if you're a mom in the room right now, I'm just going to ask you to just, just discreetly, could you just lift your hand? We just want to see who you are. And like the rest of us, yes. Can you keep them up? And Ken, if, you, if you're seated around a mom, would you just put your hand on her shoulder or her back or something right now? And even if you are a mom, touch another mom. It's just a sign of affirmation. You know, the Bible tells us to lay hands on people when we pray. It's really just symbolic of him touching our lives. So just lay hands on a mom, and if your hand's up, you can put it down. We're just going to pray for you right now. We're going to honor you and ask God's blessings in your life. Let's just pray together. God, we thank you so much for all the moms in this room and all the moms that we've had. And whether we're separated from moms right now, whether moms have passed on, whether we have strained relationships with moms, Lord, we're still grateful for the life that they gave us and for bringing us into this reality and this, uh, this, this life, Lord, that's within us. And we thank you for all the sacrifices that have made, been made, for all of the, the wisdom that's been imparted, for all of the, uh, the discipline that's been taught, for all of the love that's been shown. I pray right now specifically for the moms, Lord, that you would allow them to feel loved, You'd bless them. And whatever is going on that their hearts desire in regards to motherhood, maybe it's that they could be a better mom or they have guilty feelings because they weren't good enough or they're in conflict right now with, with kids or, or the finances aren't there or, or maybe you've lost children. I don't know. There's a lot of tender issues. But, Lord, we value these moms and we value their hearts and we value the, the action and the sacrifice that they put into everything that has to do with motherhood. And Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now that you would fulfill the heart's desire of all the moms in the room right now. Whatever is the strain related to mothering, Lord, that right now you would come and you would be their strength, that you would be their God, that you would reward them richly. And Lord, you would bring about miracles simply because we are asking because you're a good God and you love these women, these mothers that you've created. And we are so thankful. Lord, would they be blessed today? Would they feel it? Would they know it? where they walk with their head held high, knowing they are in the most noble of all positions on planet Earth. Lord, we thank you for our moms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, moms. Thank you, mothers. Amen. So go buy your mom some malasadas after church today. They, I think they have, like, free iced tea for everybody today and all of that. And I hope you guys are, are taken care of and you're well-loved here today on this Mother's Day. Well, we're talking about moms, and moms are great. Moms are awesome, the greatest. We're talking about family issues a little bit here this morning, and um, we're talking about who's greatest in the family. Any of you growing up ever um, tried to compete to be the favorite child? 
Anybody? You know, you had brothers and sisters, and you're like, you got you know, all of us, right? And how many of you guys are like, I didn't have to compete. Look at me. Right? Some of us, we knew we were the favorite kid, right? Anybody the baby of the family in here? And you're like, you know you were spoiled, right? The other ones all hated you because you were the baby and you got all of that. Or maybe you were the firstborn, so you were the special one. I don't know what it was, but, but there's something about being the favorite in the family, right? We all want that. And, and sometimes it's for selfish reasons. It's sometimes it's for what we can get out of it. I know that if I'm close to mom, she's going to buy me that toy or, you know, or whatever it is. But oftentimes it's really just for our own self-value, our own self-worth, to know that we're loved and esteemed. And so we, we fight to know that we're the greatest, that we're doing a good job. And um, I don't know what you guys did to, to do that, whether you battled with your, your siblings or not, or you tried to do all the chores without mom asking so that she would, you know, have favor in you, or you would always tattle on the other siblings to make them look bad and you look good. Anybody? You're the tattletale in the family, right? That's, that's fun, you know? Um, I was, I was bad. I was a firstborn. I have a sister. She's 18 months younger than me. She lives in San Diego right now with her husband and uh, Kelly. But we were always kind of like competitive and fighting and whatnot. But I was like extra, maybe I guess you could say creative, but maybe kind of diabolical a little bit. And that I wanted to be the, the good kid, right? The favorite. And so I don't know what means you went to to be the favorite, but this is how bad I was. I would tell my sister, like, no, I'm the favorite. Mom loves me more. Dad loves me more. No, no, I am. You're naughty, Carl. You're this and that. You pick on me. I'm like, no, I'm good. And then I, I had a plan. I'm just like, no, you know what? You're adopted. And she's like, what? No, I'm not. Shut up. And I go, yeah, you are. I'm the favorite. You're not even in this family. What? I know. I told you I'm bad, right? I'm coming clean with you guys right now. Little kid. I'm different now. I'm holy now. It's okay. But as a kid... You're adopted. No, I'm not. Then how's this? I took it really far. I dare you to go try to find baby pictures of you. They don't exist because you're adopted. I hid the photo albums under my bed of those years of life, right? So she's like, yeah, right. Goes to the photo album, plays like, ah! And I literally had her going. It was so awesome. So like my moment of glory for a little bit was, yeah, I'm the best. And then, of course, she tells mom, and she's like, what? no, of course there's pictures of you. Carl, I had to pull him out and show, like, you're really in the family and stuff. But I was bad, right? And I don't know what lengths you went to, but there's sometimes where there's something to be said for, I want to be the, the favorite. I want the most attention. I want the most love. I want to know I'm loved. And, and even in the Christian world now, here's the weird thing is, we want to be God's favorite. We want to be like, I mean, and it's a good thing, right? Like, God, I want to be in your good side. Well, partially it's selfish because we're like, I want all my prayers answered. I want that new car. And if I figure if I'm good with you, God, then, you know, so we compete. Here's the here's problem, though, is sometimes we compete to be the greatest in the family, but we do it by the wrong methods. We think that it's like performance-based. You know, like it's like with mom, it's like, if I do the dishes, I take out the trash, I do all of this stuff, tattle on the bad kids, then I get to become the good one. And what it is, is kind of self-focused, self-serving. How do I make myself look the best so that God will love me the most and he'll bless me the most? That's the wrong way. It's actually opposite in the kingdom of heaven we're going to talk about this this morning is to be the greatest in the family of God, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you don't focus on yourself and elevating and promoting yourself. It's actually about other people. And that's what I want to talk about this morning because it's interesting. You know, we, we, we want to be the greatest. The word greatest, it means in the, in the Greek, it's the word megas, which means we get the word mega, you know, like huge. It means big, the best, the greatest, the most, the 
the highest degree of intensity. Um, it, it just means the most extreme, the most important. And so in Scripture, as we look at this, we see the disciples at one point were arguing with Jesus, and they were basically arguing over, hey, who's the favorite kid in the family of God? Hey, who do you think is God's favorite? Jesus, we've been hanging out with you for a couple years now, and, you know, we've been um, obeying your words, and we've been doing a lot of stuff, and they start a little competition, right, because we're always competitive. Now, think about this. Jesus is dealing with 12 guys. They're all men. So talk about competition, right? Testosterone, they're always trying to one-up. And so they've been, they've been ministering with Jesus all this time, and they start having an argument one day. We see this in, in the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The story of this is all written, that they were arguing one day about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And so they actually come and they ask Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now think about this. They're competitive, and they're thinking this. Here's Matthew, right? He goes, you know what, guys? My name used to be Levi, and I was like a dirty tax collector. I was corrupt, and I was taking a little money on the side and everything. But you know what? I met Jesus, and Jesus liked me so much. He came over to my house for dinner that night. He gave me a new name, Matthew. I'm not Levi anymore. Jesus loves me. I'm probably the best guy in the group. And then you got the other ones, right? The different guys are going, but remember when he sent us all out to, like, preach in his name and do miracles and, and um uh, free people from the demonic, you know, demon uh, possession, and we, we set them free and all that. And you can imagine that the other guys are kind of competing. You know, we went to that town over there. How many demons did you cast out? Oh, about mm, probably like eight or nine. He's like, I got you beat. I got like 12. And I healed two guys of blindness. Boom. I'm winning. You know, it must be me. I'm the, I'm the coolest guy. And then you got like all of them fighting over like, like, oh, I healed more sick. I did this. And then you got Peter, because we all know the story of Peter, right? Peter comes in and he goes, oh, yeah? How many of you guys walked on water? Who got out of the boat? I'm the favorite, right? You can just imagine, like, the guy's like, oh, man, maybe. So they literally come to Jesus one day, and look at this verse in Matthew 18. They actually finally take it to Jesus. It says, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the favorite kid in the family? Come on, tell us. Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. This is classic Jesus, right? Jesus didn't always just give you the direct answer. He wanted to make a big point in an illustration. So they're hanging out, and there's a kid over there, and he goes, come here, boy. Come here, little kid. And he brings him over, and they're like, man, answer the question, Jesus. And he goes, nope, I'm going to do something. He brings a kid over into their midst, puts him right in the middle, and he says to them, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children... You'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child, and the kid's sitting right there, just like, what? Wow, the Messiah, he picked me. I get to be over here. And he goes, object lesson. Unless you can become as humble as this little child, it says anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He just told them how to be the favorite kid in the family, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says, and also... Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is actually welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus gets all gangster on him, right? Hey, you love these little kids. You welcome him. But if you cause any of these little ones to fall away... And literally, in, in the context, he's not just talking about physical children, but he's talking about 
any people that would be coming to God with the spirit of humility like a little child, that their hearts are just right and set on him. And he goes, you cause any of these ones that are coming and seeking me to fall away, hey, you're going to get on my bad side. It's going to be the cement in the bucket, and I'm throwing you overboard. Like Jesus is like threatening him, like, whoa, this is really important stuff. In fact, in the two other gospels, Mark and Luke, it mentions the same story. It says this in Mark 35. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him, and he said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. So here's a concept. How do we be the greatest, God? What can we do? Because look how awesome we are. I healed the sick. I walked on water. I did this. It's all about self-centered, right? And Jesus goes, no, here's the real deal. You got to become as humble as a little kid. And you got to love on other ones that are like that. And you got to make other people great. And actually, if you want to be the first, you got to be the last, and you got to serve everyone else. Then Luke, in his gospel, he writes that Jesus said, whoever's the least among you is the greatest. Now, this is a huge concept that we have to, like, really come to terms with in our Christianity. This passage here is huge in the Bible, okay? There's a few places in Scripture where the term greatest is used, which means the biggest, the best, the most important, the, the, the priority of what you can do. Now, there's one point in Scripture where a guy comes to Jesus, and he goes, Jesus, what's the biggest, greatest priority, pinnacle commandment that you want us to know about, that we need to obey? And Jesus tells this, and you guys know the story. He says, here it is. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit. Love God. And he goes, and second to that, but equally important, still like kind of one commandment, but it's a two-part, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus says this, heavy, all of the law and the prophets, everything in the Bible, everyone that's ever spoken in the name of God, everything hangs on this commandment, which is the two-part, love God and love other people. So for us, basically, he says all of Christianity is really about loving God and loving other people. He simplifies it. That's the greatest commandment. We know that it's in scripture. There's all the 10 commandments, but that's the greatest commandment. Then here's where the word great, megas, is used again, is over in the great commission. You guys ever heard of the great commission, Matthew 28? These are Jesus's famous last words before leaving planet earth to be with the father. He goes, hey guys, here's your job. This is my great commission, my great orders and command for you guys, my followers on planet earth. I'm going to get heaven ready for you, but here's the greatest thing you need to know about. Go into all the world and make disciples of all men, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, the Holy spirit, teaching them all the commands that I've given you right? And he goes, and I'll, I promise you that I'll never leave you. I'm with you always till the end of the age. The great commission. So we're looking at this. This is important stuff. The great command, the great commandment, love God, love others. The great commission, bring everybody else into the family of God. Now, thirdly on this list that doesn't get mentioned so much is actually this story right here and this quote from Jesus that actually says, the greatest person in the kingdom, which we got to draw. This is a big deal to Jesus. He uses that word and that, that phrase, great greatest sparingly great commandment great commission greatest in the kingdom we ought to pay attention to this because he's actually giving us the theory the formula the principle of how to become the favorite child in the family of god that he has a lot of favorites and there's a lot of people that do good stuff in the family but jesus is going but you want to be really great at it you want to be the top of it here's what you got to do now i want you to, to take notes on these two things here's two things he's teaching in this in this passage here First one, how to be greatest in the, in the family, write, write this down, it's simple. Act like a kid, 
real simple, act like a kid. Now, you guys know that there's a difference between being childish and being childlike, right? And he's saying here, basically, I want you to become the greatest by becoming the least. I want you to be childlike, not childish. Childish has to do with being silly, foolish, immature, the negative qualities of a child, like the yelling, the screaming, the picking your nose, the punching other people, you know, like that. Don't be childish. I'm not saying that. You know, it's like this. is There's some things that my daughter, and I was immediately thinking of my seven-year-old daughter when we came to this, and he's saying, be more like a little kid. I, I have a little kid. Anybody have little kids? It's real easy. Look at them and look what Jesus is, the lesson he's trying to teach, because that's what he did with the disciples. Hey, little kid, come here. Disciples, see this little boy right here? I want you to be like this, and you can be the greatest in the kingdom. See, my daughter, she does stuff that is childish. Childish is, I say, hey, clean your room, sleep in your bed. We got you a new comforter set and everything. You don't need to come in and sleep with mom and dad. You know, just just sleep. This is your zone. This is your area. Within a day, I come back over there. The whole room is messed up. I can't even find the floor, right? Barbie airplanes and everything. I'm like, ah, right? And the bed that we made that's all perfect and nice, she's nowhere near it. You know where she sleeps? She created on the floor by her bed this nest that she calls. And she put pillows around it and blankets, and she sleeps in this little nest. And I'm like, that's so immature. That's childish. Come on, like, I I made your bed. I made all of this stuff, and you choose to sleep in a nest? You know, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And then I start looking at her, and I put her in her nest every night. And then I start getting like, man, I wish I had a nest. That looks pretty awesome. I literally told Kanani, like, can I just, like, try it one night, like, next to my bed right here? You don't have to come. I just want a nest. That's a, that thing looks amazing. And she's like, you're so dumb, right? And so, so dumb is, like, childish, right? Jesus is not saying make a nest and sleep in it. He's not saying, like, you can have candy for dinner. That's childish kind of stuff. But here's what he is saying. He says, I want you to be childlike, which is the good positive qualities that children have that are positive, innocent, optimistic, they're dependent. And I want to talk about this a little bit because it's a big deal to Jesus. There's a lot of things in scripture that that are good, but when he says, you can be the greatest, that's something we got to perk our ears up and go, whoa, this is the son of God saying that I actually can be the greatest, but here's how you do it. Number one, act like a kid. So let's talk about what it is to be childlike. The first word I, I think that, that he uses here is be humble. Be humble like this little child. The thing about kids is they're humble by nature because they know their limitations. They know that they can't do everything. There's, they think they can for a minute, like, I can do everything. Leave me alone. Let me do my homework. But there's a point that every little kid just has to come and go, Dad, can you help me with this? Dad, I can't do this on my own. Dad, I can't reach up into the refrigerator to get the milk. Dad, I can't, I can't figure out the computer on my own. I have to do this thing. Dad, I can't tie my own shoes when you're a little kid. There's a point where they're willing to understand, I can't do it on myself. That's what being humble is. It's less of you and more than God. And so when Jesus is going, be like this little kid, it's dependency on dad because dad's going to take care of everything. And dad's the one that can make it happen, right? And it's us willing to do that. Uh, my daughter yells for us like every night. Well, she yells for my wife, like some, somewhere around three in the morning or four in the morning. She's every night. I don't know why. She wakes up and she just, mom. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the neighbors, you know, her window's right there. So my wife will go in there. My wife's like a patient, loving mom. She goes in there and she'll lay on the bed and, you know, Sam's in her nest and whatever. But at least they're in the same room. And it's like, she needs us. The other day, yesterday, my wife had to leave for work like five in the morning, right? And the, the call hadn't come yet. Rah, mom. And so my wife was out 
And then the, the yell came, like at 5.30 or something. And she knew. I don't know how she knew, but she's like, Dad! I'm like, how do you know that mom, Dad, right? I'm like, ah. And I'm, I'm not as loving as mom. So I'm like, go to sleep. You need something, come here. Don't yell. And she yells a couple more times, like, ah. And I walk down the hall, open the door. I'm like, just stay in your nest and be quiet or else come get me. Don't yell, you know, the whole, the whole deal. I just don't have the compassion that the mom has, the whole thing. But what, but what you understand is this little person is dependent for their fears or their frustrations or whatever on someone else, and they recognize that. And I think with God is he's just trying to teach us, just like a little kid, know that your dad is the one that takes care of all of your problems. There's a verse in Micah 6, 8, talks about being a Christian. It says, our relationship with God He's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God's looking for in men and women, and it's actually quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And this is the key. Don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. What he's saying with that is you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Depend on God. Don't depend on yourself. How many times do we just wake up and we're just like, well, I got to do this. I got to take care of this. I got to take care of this. And he's going, just why don't you just let me take care of that kind of stuff? But we're humble. And we're simple. Children are so simple. You know, I did a marriage last night. I did a wedding. It's for one of my kids that was in my youth group back in the day. And he's in his late 20s now. And he's getting married. And it was just really cool. And it was one of those really emotional weddings where, like, the bride already walking down the aisle is crying. And I'm like, oh, no. And then, like, she, the, the groom sees her. And then he starts to cry. And I'm, like, there. And I love these people. And I'm just like, don't do it, Carl. Don't lose it. I got to go through the whole marriage and I can't be like, who gives this woman to me? I can't do it, right? So I'm like, I just start smiling big, like, just fighting it back, right? And it's like super windy. We're down on the bay and I'm like, ah. And then my teeth start drying out because I'm smiling so big to fight the tears. Like, and then I can't close my teeth. Like, hey, guys, you know? And it was just super awkward, but it was a really emotional, good wedding, you know, like in a good way, like everyone's like crying because they're both crying. They love each other. Like, yeah, comes time for them to do the vows. You know, they say the promises and um, they had written them out. They'd written out each like a full page and typed it up and they were gonna, before they exchange rings, they were gonna say their thing into the microphone. You know, like I'm giving the mic or whatever and um, it was heavy because I'm sitting there and I'm holding the mic and the stuff they wrote was so good. It was, it was long, but it was like eloquent. It was well-spoken. It like moved my heart. I'm like, oh man. And they're like trying not to cry as they both tell each other how much they love them and I'm gonna be your biggest fan all my life and you're awesome and you know, whatever. Really, really eloquent and long and just like, oh, so, so good. And then I start thinking about a note that I got from my daughter the other day, which is this. I've been carrying it around. It's pretty awesome. My seven-year-old daughter. I find this on the counter. It says, once there was a little girl. Oh, actually, it says grill because she had the spelling, the R and the I. Once there was a little grill. <laughs> her name was Sammy. She loved her daddy so much. I love my daddy. And that's it. Super simple. But you know what? It had absolutely the same effect as that long speech in the wedding. I'm just like, <laughs> right? I'm like getting ready to go to work. And I'm like, I'm a good dad. My daughter loves me. I'm a man, you know? And I'm like crying, you know? And here's what I think. Children are so simple. And that is such a strong heart. Is it, You don't need all the words, all the eloquence. So many times in our Christianity, our faith with God, we think that we got to study the word and we got to... It's not wrong to study the word and go deep and learn and all of that. But so many times we base our relationship with God on our theology, 
knowing all this theology, you know what theology is? The study of God. The problem with theology is theology doesn't equal relationship. Theology is study. It's head, head knowledge. You know what God's after? He's after heart. That means God likes simple. That means sometimes our wives pray the most eloquent prayers in the world, and we're just like, man, I'm not holy. I can't do that. And the, the guys in the room, the dudes are just like, God, just help me. I hope I have a good day today. Hope that's good, you know, and that's all I got, right? And God goes, that's awesome. That's enough. See, I want you to be like little kids. I want you to be simple. I want you to be humble. That's good. You don't have to have all of that that you think you have to have. It's not about religiosity. It's just about show me your heart. What does your heart say? That's what I love about little kids. I love that that Jesus would be calling us to be simple like that. My seven-year-old daughter, she's simple. What's your favorite restaurant? 7-Eleven? Yeah. Spam Musubi gets the job done every time, right? Simple. That's what, I, that's, what, that's what God loves about us. Be a little kid. Trusting. Here's another word. Kids are so trusting. Kids are amazingly trusting. And God goes, I wish you would trust me like little kids can trust their parents. You know, little kids, like, like they, don't, they don't have any plans. They don't have any uh, worries in life. They don't have any agenda, right? Because they know mom and dad are going to take care of me. Wait, what are you going to do today, little kid? I don't know. Oh, did you do yesterday? I don't know. They don't know anything. You know why? Someone else makes all the plans of their life for them. So they're just happy and they just roll with everything. In my life, I've got all these plans that I try to carry out on my own. And you know what my heavenly father is saying to me? You don't have to have plans. You don't have to have agenda. He says this in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And they're plans for good. They're not for harm. I'm going to give you a hope and I'm going to give you a future you don't need to make any plans. Would you just trust me, Carl? Oh, yeah, when you put it like that, yeah, I think I got to trust you. My son, when he was almost two years old, he loved the water. He loved pools. He loved the ocean. He still does. He surfs so good. I get to hang out with him all the time. But he was like almost two years old. He loved the pools. Whenever he saw the pool, he knew what that meant. Dad's going to take him in, going to swim around and do the whole deal. So trusting to the point that he would just jump in the water by himself, Couldn't know, didn't know how to swim, but would just jump in. Anybody got kids like that? Or you were that kid? You just, you just rushed. And one time we're sitting up on the edge of the pool, and there goes Isaac. He's not even two yet. And he's like, yeah, all happy, right? Just jumps into the pool. And I was like, whoa, what's he doing? And I go over there, and I look, and he's sinking, but he's smiling like. <laughs> and I'm looking, I'm like, he's smiling. And Kanani's all, go get him. I'm like, yeah, I know, okay. It's so, <laughs> That's awesome. So I pull him up, and he's laughing, and he's smiling. He's not even worried. And you know what that is? That's absolute trust. That's I can do whatever because dad's got me, right? That's what Jesus is going. See this little kid? Be like this kid. Would you be like a kid, please? Stop trusting your own agenda, your own schedule. I know the plans I have for you. Would you just go when I say go? And when I say jump, you say how high. Everything works out. You're greatest in the kingdom, in the family, if you can become like this little kid, this kind of trust. Isn't that good? See, the other thing about kids is they're brutally honest. They're honest when you don't want them to be. Dad, you look kind of fat. What? Oh, you're right, I do. But don't say that, right? They'll just tell you what's going on. If they're angry, they let you know. They scream, they cry, they yell. If they're happy, they're dancing around, they shower you with kisses. You know, it's, it's awesome, but they're so brutally honest. And I think we can learn a lesson from the honesty because we are so good at being fake. We are so good at covering up. Someone asks you, man, how are you doing in life? Uh, nah, good, awesome, blessed, praise God. 
right? We know all the cliches like, hey, God is good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, right? The reality is our life may be falling apart on the inside. But because of pride, embarrassment, we don't want to look weak. We don't want to really get into anything, you know, heavy. We just kind of are fake with one another, with God sometimes. And he's going, would you just be a kid? Yell if you need to yell. And you love David when you read in the Psalms sometimes that he's just yelling at God. You get the impression. It's kind of like, God, where are you? The God of my ancestors, please come through. Please save me from this tragedy. He's just yelling. He's venting. He's freaking out. He's panicking. I love that brutal honesty. And you got to believe that God is just going, I love this kid. He just speaks his mind. You know, because as a parent, my, my kids can say whatever they want, and it doesn't offend me. You know that God doesn't get offended by anything that we could ever say to him. He loves us anyway. He already died for what, what we were going to say. My kid, when, when Isaac was a little boy and he, was, he would get angry at us, right, because whatever reasons we discipline him, he'd get mad, but he didn't have the vocabulary yet, like at three years old. And so he couldn't really express completely. And so he would just be like, his favorite thing to say to all of us was, I'm not your friend. And that was like, that was it. Like, oh, oh man, he's mad. But you couldn't help but laugh as a parent. Because <laughs> he would just be this little guy with his little curly hair. And he's like, I'm not your friend. <laughs> and then he like started to learn other words. And so he would just throw in the word either. Like after, I'm not your friend, either. <laughs> and then that would be it. I'm like, what do you mean, either? either? But it would be so funny, right? But he would just be, this is what you got to love about kids. They're just honest. They're just going to tell you how they feel. And the more we could get into the habit of being like little kids and go, man, you know what, I'm actually, I'm actually hurting right now. Or I'm angry about something. Or God, I just don't understand you. God loves that. God can work with a heart that is honest and willing to be open. And we need to be that. That's the whole reason we do connect groups around this church is it so people would learn to be real with one another. We'd actually walk through life's highs and lows together and not be these, these fake, like, put up the false, you know, the walls and the fake smiles. Get real, man. The, the, more, the quicker that you can get real with people, the quicker you can find freedom, you can find healing, you can find that there's people that actually do care about you. They're probably going through some of the same problems you're going through, and life gets a lot easier when you do it with a gang than if you're doing it on your own. Amen? So be honest. Learn to be honest like a little kid. I love that. And then the, there's, so there's two things. The first thing is act like a kid. Be simple. Be trusting. Be honest. But here's the second thing is that we should focus our time on making others great. Remember they asked who can be the greatest in the kingdom. And he goes, hey, be like this little kid. But then he also said, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. And if you cause one of these little kids who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be a terrible thing. So what he's saying first is, you be humble. But the second thing, after acting like a little kid, is make others great. The way that you become great is that you believe in other people. As you welcome other people. You encourage other Christians that are trying to find their way towards God as little kids. And you would build into them. You would speak life into them. You know, James talks about the, the, the tongue has so much power to speak life or death. Is that you would focus on speaking life to other people. See, it matters to God the way that we treat our other brothers and sisters, right, in the family of God. It matters to me. When my kids fight, it makes a difference, right? I don't just let them fight and just lock the door, put them in there. Whoever comes out standing, it's all good. No, I, I'm like, don't treat your brother and sister like that. I'm bummed when my older kids, teenagers, watch their shows on Netflix, and they show those shows to the seven-year-old because they're age-appropriate for them, but not for the seven-year-old. So, Someone that's learning and on their way and coming along, 
don't discourage them. Don't hurt them. Don't corrupt them. Don't judge them. Don't put them down. But actually, Jesus is going, the way to be great is to make other people great. That's how it works in my family. My kids do that. When they do favors for each other and they love on each other, you know what they get? They get my extra blessing, my extra reward. I'm going to I'm gonna then give them whatever it is that they've been asking for, right, or whatever that they need. I want to bless and favor them because they treat one another. It's the same way with God. He goes, the way you become great in my kingdom is by making other people great. It's not always a religious thing, too. I don't want you guys to think it's like, it's, i got to be holy and spiritual. I met some guys at my wedding or at the wedding I did last night, and there were there are kids that have used to be my youth kids that I invested a lot of time and energy into years ago, and now they're all grown up and they're engaged and they're getting married and they got their own businesses. And I was just like, oh, I was I was so proud, I was so blessed. And I thought, man, over the years, just the little that I was able to invest, it, it it's turning out well. And I thought, I thought, what a privilege it was that I wasn't their parents or anything, but I got to be a part of it. And you know what they're doing? They're all coming up to me in Kanani and just thanking us. Hey, thank you guys for loving. Thank you for all the years. Thank you for the mission trips. Thank you for this. And a lot of it wasn't necessarily the holy religious stuff. You know, a lot of what they got out of our lives was they were reminded of. I remember all the times you'd pick me up to go surfing like twice a week and all the talks we had. And, oh, remember all the good barbecues and how we would cook for each other and do all of this? It's, it's nothing religious and holy. It's the fact that you're just encouraging people, building into their life, talking to them about their relationships, their girlfriends, their finances, their first jobs, getting their licenses, all of that kind of life stuff that Jesus goes, people that do that in my kingdom those are the great ones. Those are the good ones that you take the focus off yourself and you're building into someone else and you're encouraging someone else. And don't be the one that causes any of those little ones to fall away. Here's our problem sometimes is we get mad at someone instead of doing what the Bible says, going and confronting them and working it out, we complain about that person to everybody else. You know what we're doing? We're planting seeds of bitterness and resentment and gossip into all of these little ones, other Christians, that are trying to have pure thoughts and live for the Lord, and we spread our poison, and it ends up hurting them. And God goes, hey, you don't want to be on my bad side. Please don't do that to those other little ones. Because here's what God says. I love all the kids in my family, and I don't like when one kid hurts another kid. It matters to God. It's a big deal. So I've been guilty of that, but I've also been on the receiving end of that kind of gossip, and I've been learning lately, man, if I say something dumb or if I'm, I'm hurting or stumbling another believer, I better make that thing right. I better apologize real quick. But there's a lesson in that for us is make other people great and be careful about leading other people astray. Don't discourage one another. Don't set a bad example. And here's what I like about the statement that Jesus makes to end it is when they asked him, how do you be the greatest in the kingdom? You would think, I would think that Jesus would say, nobody's the greatest. Everybody is awesome and I love everybody equally. But you know, Jesus doesn't do it that way. Again, Jesus is smart. He's onto something. He's speaking to a bunch of men, mainly that were his followers, right? And men like competition. So what Jesus does is he doesn't take away the competition and make like, we're all equal and everybody's cool. He actually goes, no, there's still a way that you can become the greatest. So what is that speaking to guys? Oh, game on. What do we got to do? Wait, is it still a competition? I believe it's still a competition, but the rules have changed. Because we love competition, don't we? Men, we for sure like it, right? You guys are like, yeah, whatever. Come on. Who can raise your hand the fastest? See, men, you like to compete right there. 
I went on a staff outing this past Wednesday, and we were just supposed to go to the Croc Center with our staff and bond and hang out and be cool. Everything was a competition between me, Pastor Rob, Pastor Lance, Pastor Nick. Everything was a competition. We couldn't just relax in the pool. It's suddenly like there's Lance and Nick. They're having to race each other, right? And then I go and tell Trevor, Trevor, I dare you to like, swim underneath the water the whole length of the pool. And he's like, oh, he has to do it, right? Because it's male competition, right? So he goes, he pulls it off, and now I'm like, dang, now I got to do it. It's like, oh, now I got to do it twice, you know? It's like everything is a competition. Now, check this out. This is fun. This makes living in the kingdom of God actually fun. He, he says, game on. It's still a competition, but the rules have changed. The focus isn't on about drawing attention to you and you trying to think you're the coolest person. Here's what the new rules are. Who can love themselves the least and love others the most? Game on. That's the new rules. Who can be the greatest in the kingdom? The way to win is by losing yourself. Those are the ones in the family of God that he goes, I'm going to reward them richly. I'm going to exalt them. I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to care for their needs. Those are the ones that make me the happiest. In fact, it says it in Luke 14, 11, Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. That's the old rules. Exalt yourself and try to look good. But he says those who humble themselves will be exalted. The way to win is by losing yourself. Greatness in the family of God, the favorite children in the family of God, are those that learn humility, act like a kid, and make others great. Is that a good word this morning for you guys? This Mother's Day, be good kids out there. Let's pray and let's, let's get on with this Mother's Day. God, we love you. We thank you for being our Father. We thank you for your um, unending love for us and making us great and all that you do for us, Lord. Would we be the kind of people that could please you by not focusing on ourselves and how great we are and trying to earn your affection that way, but literally by letting you know how great you are by losing ourselves so that we could gain everything. Lord, that we could make other people great, that we could act like the simple, trusting, innocent, dependent children, Lord, that we actually are, that we know that dad's got everything. He's got all the plans, so I don't need to have the plans. I don't need to stress. I don't need to worry because my dad knows what's up, and I can trust him. I pray that we would be able to find that attitude, Lord, in our hearts this week, whatever challenges we might have as far as... uh, letting go of the reins and the driving, the steering wheel and letting you be our guide, Lord, that we would do that this week. And whatever ways that you could show us opportunities to make someone else great, to speak into someone else's life, to build someone else up and to protect them from any discouragement or bad examples or hurt, Lord, help us to do that. When we do that, we know we're on the right track and we become the greatest in the kingdom, as you said. I wanna pray right now, if there's anybody in here that you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you wouldn't actually be able to say right now from the bottom of your heart if you really know you're a Christian or not, but you want to make that choice. You want to know that. And if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity as we pray here today to make everything right with God, to know the basic gospel message, which is God created us to have relationship, but because of sin, we've walked our own way and we don't have relationship with God anymore. So we need a savior. We need someone to put us back right with God. The Savior was Jesus. He came to the cross. He died for our sins to make us clean and pure so that we could have that relationship with God again. And because of that, then God's going to bless us. He's going to act in our life. He's going to save us from eternity, separated from him in a place called hell. If we would believe in him, then he begins to work on our life starting now and for all of eternity. So we know that we need a Savior. And so if that's you this morning that are saying, I know I need Jesus, man. I need some help. And I, I know that Jesus is the way. I'm going to say a simple prayer with you this morning where you'd be saying yes to, to Jesus and all that he did for you. 
you'd be receiving all of his help through the Holy Spirit and this newfound relationship with God the Father. But it just it takes a, a decision. You actually have to choose it and begin to live that way. So I'm going to lead you in the first step, which is just a simple prayer, telling God that you, you want him, you need him, and that you're going to begin to follow him from this day forward. And he's going to do all that he's going to do, and your life will be changed forever. If that's something you'd like to do right now with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm just going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. I'm going to pray it out loud. You just pray it quietly under your breath because it's a heart decision right now. After church, you can go and tell people, hey, I prayed that. But right now, you just make this decision in your heart as you pray with me. So I want to know who I get to pray this decision with, this greatest prayer that you'll ever pray, becoming a child of God and really becoming a Christian. I'm just going to ask you to let me know who in the room wants to, to say this prayer right now. Everybody's got their eyes closed and their heads bowed. If you want to pray this with me, I'm going to count to three. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand just to say, Pastor Carl, I, I want to pray that. I want Jesus right now. I want to know what it is to be a Christian. I want God on my side. I want his forgiveness and love. So if that's you on the count of three, would you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with? Then we'll pray. One, two, three. Would you just lift your hands? I see one hand right here. I see you. I see you. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Anybody else? If I didn't see you, just kind of wave at me or whatever. I saw at least eight people in the room. Go ahead and put your hands down and just make this the prayer of your heart right now as I say it out loud. God, I'm here today and I know that I need you. I recognize that. I realize it and, and I want you. Sounds like to me that if I go your way and I follow you, then things are going to be pretty good. And all I have to do is actually simplify, not overcomplicate and overanalyze. That I could be like a child and I could speak into other people's lives and you would call me the greatest for becoming the least in my own eyes. So God, basically that's what I'm saying is I'm humbling myself like a kid. I'm saying I need you. I need your help. I need to know and believe that your son Jesus died on that cross to save me from my own sins and my own separation from you. I believe that. I receive that from this day forward. I'm going to live that. I will follow you all my days, Lord. That involves coming to church, getting a Bible, being water baptized, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. All of that, Lord, my answer right now, I don't even know all of that yet, but my answer is yes. Here's my heart. Here's my life. God, I want to follow you. I ask that you'd begin to do things in my life just to show me that you are so real and so good. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for this new journey that I'm on. I, I, I thank you so much for being my God, and I'm your child from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we praise God for those people, about eight people this morning? Yes. Amazing.